Yes. Well, grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. You know, I don't know if you have that person in your life, they give you uh, more information than you ask for. Do you have that person in your life, a family member, a good friend? They're the one that sends you a text, a picture of something you did not ask to see. Oh, I had surgery. Let me show you my wound. No, I didn't. Uh, too late, right? Do you have that person in your family? All of us, all of us do. It, it's happened often, and there's times it's like you could have given me a warning, right? Um, I remember growing up in the church, uh, where our missionaries would come, and sometimes they would share pictures, and they're called slides. Do you guys know what those are? So we're sitting there, and they're, they're showing these slides of their trip, of their, where, their, where their place was in Africa, and the, the clinic they worked at, and then one was a doctor. So he would like, he's like, he'd put these gross pictures up there, like a guy with a goiter, like the size of a basketball coming out of his neck, and it's like, no, dude. Push next, right? And they click, and there goes the next slide. And it's like, oh, okay, good. A picture of his village. Okay, good. A picture of the truck that he drives around there. And then, oh, a guy with a missing arm. Really? Why did you put that in there? You know, and it's like, too much, too much, right? Just move, just be done, right? That's how I'm feeling right now about this sermon series. And and what I mean by that is in Matthew 27, where we're going to be at, it's like the beatings of Jesus. What happened to Jesus? We've been talking about his trials and the agony, and it's like, church, we're not done. This, this was like a, um, a trilogy. This would be like part two, maybe, where it's like, can we just get to part three where there's a great ending? We're not there yet. That's going to be Resurrection Sunday. We'll get there. But this, this sermon, as much as I prayed about it, it's like, I wish I had humorous stories. I wish I had these, these clever thoughts, you know, to share. But it's like, you know what? Scripture just drops it right on you and says, this is what happened. And by the time we get through Matthew 27, some of you are going to be like, too much. <laughs> too much, Rex. I'll, I'll promise this. I won't put any pictures up there of what Jesus went through um, because that would be too much, right? So let's read one excruciating blow after another here from Matthew chapter 27 starting in verse 26. So Pilate released Barabbas to them. He ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned more to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, verse 29. They wove thorn branches into a crown they put on his head. They placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. Verse 26 is where it all begins with this this flogging. Romans were professionals at scourging, at flogging. They took special delight in the fact that they were um, the best at punishing a criminal and having a brutal act as they did it. Then this was considered to be one of the most feared and, and deadly weapons of the Roman world. Not, not even the hardest of criminals that were out there would want to submit to the vicious beating of a Roman soldier with this tool. And when a decision was made to be scourged, basically the individual was, was first stripped of their clothes. So they were completely naked so that basically all flesh was exposed so the worst damage could be done by this tool right here. The victim was then bound to usually about a two-foot high post. 
their hands were placed over top of them uh, with their wrists being securely shackled to a metal ring so that they couldn't wiggle around and move and avoid if the whip was coming to try to move. They were basically bound and had to take what was coming their way. And the scourge itself, short wooden handle, eight to 18 to 24 long straps of leather that were attached to it. On those straps were pieces of uh, sharp, rugged metal wire glass, jagged fragments of bones, anything that would basically go against the skin and beat it or cut it. Most often there were two torturers, one on one side, one on the other, and they would take, as the flog, they would take the scourge, they would go across and then pull it and yank it back so that it would rub and pull as it went across the person's body. Each piece of metal, wire, bone, whatever it would, would cut into the victim's skin, into muscle. It would basically start to bleed them out. With so many blood vessels, unfortunately, now cut open and all the bleeding, uh, loss of body and, um, uh, and blood, all these fluids, would often cause the blood pressure to uh, drop drastically. Because of the loss of body fluids, they were also very thirsty, and, and they would faint from the pain. They would go into shock. Some would even have cardiac arrest because of the heartbeat was so erratic. Now, according to Jewish law, the Jews would do 40 lashes at a flogging. Now, because usually the 40th one brought the person to death, they cut it back to 39 so they could keep them alive. Now, that was the Jewish law. Understand, these were the Romans that were torturing Jesus. So we don't know the exact number of lashes, whether it was more or less. But when the Bible tells us Jesus was scourged, you can look at this picture and I can tell you right now, you know exactly now what this beating that Jesus received that night, what it would have looked like, and how harsh it would have been. This was all done prior to the crucifixion of Jesus. Look at verse 27. Now the soldiers dragged Jesus through the worst mockery and humiliation of all time. It says that some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the headquarters and called out the entire regiment. Now the regiment was three to 600 soldiers. So you have to imagine a room, maybe three times the size of this room right here, to fit three to 600 soldiers in it. And they're going to put one person in the middle of all of them. You want to talk about what it means to be uh, humiliated and mocked? I mean, how many people does it take to beat up one person? He is already weary and weak from the, from the being hit and slapped and punched before he even got to the scourging and the flogging, right? And then after all of that, now he's just he's bleeding out. He's like, he has nothing in him. And now let's, let's just get everybody we can and mock him. 28 says this, they stripped him, ripped off his clothes, speechless, right? I mean, nakedness obviously was viewed as a disgrace and shame and an embarrassment in the Jewish culture. And really it was up for many years. And now it seems like people can just walk around however they want and not be embarrassed. But really it was an embarrassing thing. And it was done forcefully to Jesus. And then they took a robe, an old scarlet robe. I don't know where they found it, whether, well, let's see. Pilate maybe has an old closet with something stuck away. I don't, we don't know where they got it, but they pull out a scarlet robe and they put it on him. Now we know that thorns grew everywhere in that day, but even in the imperial grounds of Pilate. So somewhere there in the grounds where Pilate was, they find these thorns and they very carefully, think about this, they're like long, sharp nails 
They very carefully weave it into what was like a crown, and so they placed it on his head. Now, the word here used in Matthew is a Greek word implies a forcefully shoving. So it wasn't just, let's just set it softly on his head. It was shoved down onto his scalp to puncture into his skin, to puncture into his skull, possibly. And the blood continues. And I pause for one second. Feeling like you've heard enough? Too much information, maybe? Well, we're not done. While Jesus sat there before them, clothed in the royal robe, crown of thorns, they handed him a, a, a reed stick to put in his right hand. Somebody must have said, he doesn't look like a king yet. Give him a staff. Give him a scepter. So they give him that reed stick. And then this disgusting thing happens next is this. It says, then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, hail, king of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him in the head with it. You can only imagine the massive number of soldiers in that room. Three to six hundred soldiers, and I, we don't know how it went down. Did they come by one by one, grabbing the stick out of his hand, smack him in the top of the head, spitting into his face? Or did they just a couple, three, four? All I know is it went on and on. We don't understand the exact picture, but I'll tell you this. They were all mocking the king of kings, the one we just sang about. Church, listen very carefully. What happens next just, just floors me. Look at verse 31. It says, when they were finally tired, finally tired, when they're finally tired of mocking him, they, they, they took off the robe and put his own clothes back on him again. They led him away to be crucified. Don't overlook that, that phrase, finally tired. If you're a construction worker or you've worked on houses before and you've hammered away all day, how long do you hammer? How long do you, do you haul the, the plywood or the drywall before you're like, I need to take a break? If you do other kind of work, uh, whether you're out in the yard, doing yard work, how long do you rake leaves before you're like, I need to take a break? Like two minutes or an hour? athletes, you, you go and practice for an hour, hour and a half. And after an hour and a half, you find like, whew, it's been a long practice. I need to take a break. I'm finally tired. I don't think it was a 30-second shaming of Jesus Christ and mocking of him. This could have went on for hours. After all, there's three to 600 of them. How long do they mock him? We don't know, but it got to the point where like, guys, I'm tired. I can't lift that, that stick up and hit him one more time. I can't shout out one more cruel thing out of my mouth. I'm too tired. And Jesus is the one taking all this on. These soldiers, what they did not realize is that someday what they were doing, they were going to be so ashamed of. We know in Philippians chapter 2, verse 10 to 11, it says this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? Someday, every knee, let me hear you say every knee, every knee, one more time, every knee, every knee, whether they're living, whether they're dead, whether they're up above, whether they're below, wherever they're at in this point in time, it says here, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, under the earth. Every knee will bow before Jesus Christ, because he is the king of kings. And what they were doing in mocking him, not realizing that someday they will be so ashamed because he truly is the king of kings. After all this goes on, he's now ready to be placed on this parade route for all to see. Because according to Roman law, once a, Roman, uh, once a criminal was convicted, it's time to 
make him carry his own cross to his own place of execution. So let's walk him through the streets to make sure everybody sees us because I want you and you and you and you to know that Romans are to be feared. Look what will happen to you if you break the law. So you would pray them through and give everybody their last, child, their last chance to say something. Take him to the place of where he would be crucified, where the, the birds and the buzzards would be swooping around, waiting to pick at the carcasses, throw where the bodies would be thrown off into a dump where the wild dogs out of the wilderness would come. The Romans made it this way because they wanted you to fear them. Fear the death, fear the crucifixion, fear what you would be done to you in parading through the city. Don't break this law. The Romans were good at scaring people, right? Well, after the person was declared guilty, the next thing that would happen was they would then grab this cross beam, which was anywhere from anywhere from 80 to 120 pounds, so we'll say around 100 pounds. Now, the back of Jesus is already been filleted, so it's, he's got his robe on, he's in pain, he's going to try to carry a 100-yard, 100-pound cross beam through the city up to the place of execution. Difficult, Right? And around his neck was a sign. We don't know whether he cared to hear. We know that it was later put up on the cross. But typically, if you were a criminal, again, you had to carry a, a, a sign around your neck that stated what was your crime. His was placed on the cross. We read uh, in, in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 27, a sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So we know that sign was placed at the cross, whether it was around his neck, most criminals it was, we don't know if it was here, but it was too much to carry. So it was so heavy carrying that burden that he basically stumbled along, and what Jesus was experiencing was so excruciating and so unbelievable, the weakness from the blood loss, from the beatings, he had nothing left in him. So the Roman soldiers basically look around and say, let's pick somebody else. So it says along the way, they came across a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, not even from the town. The soldiers forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Cyrene, or Simon was, was from Cyrene. He's just visiting can you imagine you're on vacation somewhere, you stroll into town, and you catch word of what's going on, and it's like, what's, this, what's, what's happening? You get in the streets, and you, like, you see everybody lined up, like, what's happening? We've heard of this Jesus. Oh, look what happened. Oh, oh, man, he's a mess. He's coming. And the Roman soldiers then just grab you out of the crowd and say, carry that cross. What effect did this have on Simon? We do not know. We do know, you read through Scripture, that his sons, though, were later leaders in the church. So there's somehow an amazing positive effect on him and his kids. But it makes you wonder, did he say anything to Simon? Did Simon say anything to Jesus in this exchange? We don't know, but it says they went out to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. Church, listen, we'll never fully understand the agony and the pain and the darkness of what Jesus went through. As I, as I read through that and try to help you get a, just a glimpse of what it was, we can only know it partially, right? That's why if you've maybe watched the movie The Passion of Jesus Christ, it's rated R for a reason. Because of the violence that is shown, it is a tough movie to watch because you're watching your Savior just being brutalized. Like we said, at the end, we know there's a resurrection. But at this point in time, nobody knew. If you're, if you're walking in real time with them at that point, nobody knew, right? And you sit there and think, why, why focus on the pain and death of Jesus? Why, why take today's message? And if you're visiting here today, you're like, man, do we have to talk about this? 
What did it take for Jesus to go, go through all this? And I think it's important to understand what Jesus went through to save the world. He did this for you and me. It's beyond blood and beatings. It was submission to God's plan. It was obedience to what God wanted him to do. It was humility to say, I'm going to leave the throne room of heaven to come down here and you can just beat the tar out of me and, and, and the snot out of me and whatever. You just keep pounding, pounding away. That's humility of a, of a God who says, I will let you do this to me. I will let you do this to me because I love you. That's the other thing. It's about love. I think until we understand the depth and the darkness of what happened to Jesus, you will understand the grace and the mercy that he gives us in return. Once you understand what he went through, it makes his gift to you so much more welcoming. And again, you know, if, if it was like, hey, Rex, would you write the story different? Of course I would, right? I would have scripted it so much differently. It would have been less cruel, less violent. Matter of fact, Jesus would come riding in on a white horse with all of his angels and just, you know, take care of the demons and sin and, 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 and the devil. You know what I mean, right? That's going to happen. Okay. But this isn't, this is the way it's scripted. This is the way it was written. He came in on the cross not a horse. We're not, here's the thing, we're not asked to write the story. You know that? I, I, like I said, if I could rewrite it, you know what? I wasn't asked to rewrite it. This is the story. What I've been asked to do is to respond to the story. What you've been asked to do this morning is respond to the story. Nobody's asking you to get up on the cross. Jesus already did that. What Jesus wants is for us to bring our things to the cross, to bring our sins to the cross. What is it that you've held on? I mean, he, he died for us. What is it that is so important to us that we have to hold on to? What is it that we need to confess? What, bad attitudes? Do we have some bad attitudes? Do we have maybe some sour people in here? Do we have some people with bitterness and revenge on their hearts? Do we need to take that to the cross? Maybe we've got some sinful habits. It's like nobody else has seen. Oh, I've, I've played that game. I grew up in the church. You act one way in the church and you act another way outside the church, right? Just make sure church people don't see you acting that way, right? You can't hide it from God. Those sinful habits, those binging moments need to come to God. They need to be taken to the cross. Our failures, our frustrations, bring it to the cross. Anybody holding something against somebody else? Oh, you know what they did to me? You know what they did to me? You know what 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says? Love keeps no record of wrong. Love keeps no record of wrong. If you're holding something against somebody, take it to the cross. He died for that. You worried about something? Some of us are, some of us are so filled with anxious moments where we've got so much worry in our heart. We've got fear in our heart. Take it to the cross. See, I can't change the story about the cross and what Jesus did, but here's what I know about it. He wants us to respond to it. What is it that we need to take to the cross? I would encourage you this morning, if you've got sin in your life, admit it. You know, I know Billy, uh, Billy Graham has often said, he only preaches one message, he preaches it over and over and over, and it's like, it's the gospel message, right? And then sometimes, you know, you might hear me say, church, give your life to Christ. Place your faith in him. Confess with your mouth. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. You've said it once. you said it twice. Why not? Because it's the gospel and we need to hear it. 
We need to respond to it. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus Christ, said, look, the Lamb of God removes all sins, all sins. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. The Apostle Paul, he said this, there's no other name under heaven given by which man must be saved. It's only Jesus. Admit our sins. Admit our need for him. Believe that only he can help. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of our sins. If you've got something you're thinking, God can never forgive me of that, you're wrong. Get rid of that pride. Take that to the cross with it. He will forgive you. And the question is, why, why bring this up? Why, why the urgency? Okay, why talk about what Jesus went through? Because church, I don't know when Christ is coming back. I don't know when life will end. Neither do you. Now's the time to get things right with Jesus. And if you already got things right with Jesus, praise God. Who else do you need to share this with? They need to know. You know, I, I remember, um, I can't remember how many years ago, but Phil and Lisa will never forget today. We were over at the, at the church. We were sitting there in the school. And um, right in the middle of the service, Phil's father had a heart attack, basically. He just said that it was like a loud snorting, and he just went over. Now, amazingly, there was a nurse sitting in behind them, a nurse sitting in front of them, and a nurse sitting by them. I mean, it was all the right people were in the right spot. We just sort of stopped and said, uh, everybody just um, circle up and pray, right? And I just basically, we prayed. Uh, the emergency medical, um, the, the ambulance, 911 was called, and they come in. They, 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 they take him, and he's, he's going to be okay. It was a little scary there, obviously, right? And then everybody sort of pushed their chairs back to a best we could church service, and it was like, just closed the notes. It's like, we were in the book of Daniel. I remember that. Um, we were talking about the handwriting on the wall. And I, I remember we just closed it up and said, you know what? I think we just saw the handwriting on the wall. You never know. You never know when life is going to end. Are you ready? If, you, if you're not ready, now's, now's the time. Place your faith in a God who loves you. You can't save yourself. On Wednesday night, um, our students are in here on Wednesday night, middle school and high school students, and we were going through Matthew 27, and we, they had all three, they're in their small groups, and in their small groups, they had all these three-by-five cards. They started writing down all these questions about Easter, about the resurrection, about Matthew 27. You have a big uh, stack of three-by-five cards, about that thick. I went through and read them through the other day, and there's one question that was not pertained to Easter at all. Everything else was Matthew 27 and Easter. One question, let me read that question. Why does God allow bad things, and you can fill in the, in the blank, death, cancer, sickness? Um, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people, especially those that are Christian, especially the gentleman that almost died in the room over there during the taco fundraiser? That was their question. And, and I don't know if that student is in here this morning that wrote that question, but I'm going to try to partially answer that question for you. But here's the first thing before I try to partially answer that question is this. First of all, understand this. We have a spiritual enemy. His name is Satan. He is the one who is a thief and a liar. He prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour. He is the one who takes life. Okay? God gives life. God does not take. God gives life. He created this, this perfect world, and it's obviously broken with sin. But someday, God is going to restore it. There'll be a new heaven, a new earth, no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more cancer, no more any of that. 
Until that day comes, though, we can live in a victorious way. We can live forgiven. We can live free. But why God allows things to happen the way they do, I can't answer that. I just trust him because I know what's coming. So when I look at that and I say, so last week, if you didn't know exactly what happened, at the end of the taco fundraiser, Chad Rhodes had a seizure. And basically it was the point where uh, we thought we were going to lose him. And he, Sorry. And he was surrounded by the right people. He was surrounded by the right people. Um, I believe it happened here. Not to say that we have a weak God or, um, or an uncaring God. I believe it happened here so we could see the power of God. Had Chad been on the road um, when that happened, it would have been a different ending to the story. Had he been at home by himself, it would have been a different ending to the story. But it happened to be right here and surrounded with people who understood medical things and they were able to jump on it. Another 30, 40, 50 people that circled up and prayed right away. When those kinds of things happen, you see the power of God. Uh, and then, you know, he had brain surgery just a few days ago and he's already home. That's called the power of God, isn't it? And then I think about that, and I'm sitting there thinking, why do bad things happen? I, I don't know, but I do know that when things happen, that's when we can see the power of God. I wish, you know, we could have a great ending like that for every story that's out there. Many of you have lost somebody, and it's like, I wish I could have had a better ending. I understand that. We live in this broken world, and it daily reminds us this is not our home. But there's a new heaven, there's a new earth, and someday we'll be there experiencing no more pain and death. Amen? And the question is, do you believe this? Do you believe that God loves you and wants you to be in his presence? That's why, that's why I'm sharing this about what Jesus went through, because I believe, you know, it's like, you know what? He went all, all that all that pain, all that excruciating pain, the death, misery, all of that. Why? To save us. What are you doing with that? He's given you life. Are you going to receive it or not? This past week, I went to work with a baseball team. And a lot of you know that with FCA, I go around and I speak and work with a lot of teams in the spring and fall and all, all the seasons. But right now I'm working with a, with a handful of baseball teams and a couple of track teams. And I was at a baseball team I've never worked with this team in all 18 years I've been with FCA. It's my first year with this baseball team. And the coach actually said, hey, can we do a chapel as well? I'm going, chapel? Well, if we do chapel, it can't be mandatory because we're not allowed to do that. But so it's after practice, if you want to stick around for chapel, you can. It's the first time we've ever done this with one of these baseball teams. And so I showed up. The coach said, these guys have been here since 6.30 this morning, by the way, lifting weights all day at school. They have had practice. It's now quarter till 6, 5.30, quarter 6. They've got an FFA banquet at the school at 6.30, so I don't know how many guys are going to stick around for chapel. And I said, mm, I don't know either. <laughs> so we did our little team building stuff and gave our team time. And then I told the guys, oh, by the way, if you want to come over to the dugout, I'm going to be over there about 10 minutes, just a little chapel service. Just want to let you know about God. Um, grabbed my bucket of balls, went over to the dugout, turned around to see 12, 13 of the players, the majority of the team was coming my way with a couple of coaches, boom, into the dugout. It was that moment in time, it's like I had an opportunity that I had not had before, and that was this. They need to hear about Jesus. They need to know that Jesus is the only way. So I told them about how God loves them, how God sent his son Jesus Christ to save them. And for the next 10 minutes, I basically shared the gospel with them. What they do with that, I don't know. Will they come back next week? I don't know. But we prayed, fist pumped them on the way out, 
Coach thanked me, had a little short conversation afterwards, but I'm very thankful for that moment. But here's the thing. When you have the opportunity to share the gospel, share the gospel because you have no idea how much somebody might need it. Here's what I learned a couple days later. Did not know this. I found out a couple days later that that was the exact day, five years to the date, when those baseball players lost two of their friends in their school in a car accident. Five years to the date. It was, it was an anniversary date on all of their minds when I'm sitting there talking to them, and I didn't know that. So it was fresh on their mind. Tell me that we do not serve an awesome God who knows how to orchestrate things. He knew what needed to be said on that day when there's a lot of questions. And, and here's the thing. I, I, like I said, I don't know who's going to come back next week. Pray that they all do. Pray that they bring a couple of teammates that didn't come. But here's what I know. We all hurt in one way or another. In this room this morning and, and, and even first service, like uh, I was thinking of the Freemans and the Weimers who lost their, their dad last week. I was thinking of the, uh, the Rhodes family. I was thinking of Olivia Frucci who had uh, this emergency surgery for um, appendicitis. And I'm just thinking that took them by surprise. I was thinking of, of Chelsea Highlander and what the Highlanders have gone through. And Kathy Euner had surgery a, a few months, uh, a month ago. Callie Puehler, Tina McQuillan b- battling cancer. Uh, Scott Pontius who's gone through his, his surgery with everything that went on with up in his head. And, and, and I mean, the list goes on. I mean, just keep going through and I'm going to miss people, right? There's people in here who are financially strapped right now. Marriage is on the rocks. There's all kinds of hurting that's going on in here. And, and here's the thing. We all need Jesus. None of us can make it through without any of this. We all need Jesus. He is the one that experienced the pain and he took that cross. He said, so you don't have to. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I'll admit, I've been preparing for these sermons for months, and if there's a, this, like I said, there's that heaviness of, of when are we going to get to the funny story, the good story, you know? And it's like, you know what? This is part of the story. And to take this part out because I want to protect you from feeling bad is to rob you of truth. Resurrection Sunday is on the way. We're going to celebrate like we always celebrate with a lot of joy and excitement. But until we get there, we need to understand why we get to celebrate what took place. Jesus went through unfair trials, incredible suffering and and pain. He had every right, every right to stand up and say enough, but he didn't. But because he loves you and he wants to embrace you, he went through it all. What do you need this morning to take to the cross? What do you need to ask for forgiveness of? What, what do you need to surrender this morning? Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome and amazing God. And I thank you, Lord, that we can come and worship you. I thank you for truth. I thank you, Lord, that in those moments, I would have been the one, at least I hope I would have been the one in a crowd that would have been yelling, stop, stop beating him. Because as I read the stories of what happened to you, in my heart, in my mind, I'm thinking that's just not right. They need to stop. And why the pain? Why the suffering? You went through all that to save us. And when we go through pain and when we go through suffering, it's good to know that you know exactly how we feel. And you love us so much that you want us to spend eternity in your presence That someday we will experience no more pain, no more sickness, no more cancer, 
No, no more crazy emotions and, and, and pride and sin. None of that anymore. Thank you, God, for what you have done for us. God, help us now to bring what we need to bring to the cross. Help us to respond. Right now, where we're standing, if we need to ask for forgiveness, help us to ask for forgiveness. Hear our prayers, hear our cries. If we need to surrender something to you, God, have it. Have your way with us. As we sing, God, to you, I pray, Lord, that your spirit will speak to us. We want to live for you, but to live for you, we need to give up some of the things of this world. Hear our prayers, Lord. In thy name we pray. Amen.